kind of joy and confusion and shock and pain that only a game developer can feel. I mean, the Switch hardware is pretty insane too, like what it can do. Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom, they're mobile games. Um, so like, I, I really enjoyed No Man's Sky when it came out and nobody else did. It's a now you can double goose, double goose on the loose. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. It's funny you mentioned piranhas earlier because I actually have a petrified piranha on Is my it desk. on a stand and everything? On a stand, yes. That's weird. You just kind of unlocked a core memory for me because I think my neighbor had the same exact thing. <laughs> like just sitting on by his computer desk. Like your childhood neighbor? Oh. Yes. Yeah. That, that's the picture that I have. <laughs> that's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of core memories, dude, I've been playing Zelda, uh, mm-hmm. the new one. Have you have you touched it? Uh, nope. I, I don't know anything about it other than that you can build stuff in it, and then and like a whole bunch of people online have been building uh, just kid demolishers, like <laughs> like they just throw children into like these machines <laughs> that just like. Either, like smash them or <laughs> use lasers to laser them the bits. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so that's only one part of the game. <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. there's more, <laughs> dude. Like, yeah, right. Like the game is just amazing and huge, and like it makes Breath of the Wild look like a prototype. Like it really does. It feels like by the end of playing that game, I just beat it today, and by the end of playing it, I was like. Breath of the Wild just feels like a prototype now. I am just blown away. Absolutely floored by how amazing and fun that game was. And how deep the mechanics go. Without, like, like you said, like there's a whole part of the internet now dedicated to people building stuff in the game. And that's yeah. just like, it's like a thing in it where you, you can kind of interface with it as much as you want. It's a great game design thing about about it um i'll go ahead and say that now you wanted to play um like you're just macgyver you can play that way yeah if you want to really if you don't like the macgyver part which i i kind of don't i don't like futzing with stuff and building and things like it was kind of fun and you had to do it some but not a lot and so like you got i liked it because i got to do it as much as i thought it was fun and it did not make me do it any more than i thought it was fun but it did kind of force me to do it a few times, and I found it fun. Extra like when I wasn't expecting to find it fun, which is great. And then it, it, I left it alone most of the time. Like I could just play the game I wanted to play that didn't have to fuss with all the building stuff most of the game. Yeah. But other people <clears throat> no. can just play the entire game like you're just MacGyver, and it's just up to them, up to you. Yeah, no, it's because Breath of the Wild has uh, like a very great sandbox. Like, oh um, yes. Take, take for instance like a, like a puzzle right they they don't they don't put invisible walls anywhere you know you, they give you a puzzle um and they give you the mechanics to like solve that puzzle with your the, you know like your inventory and like the tools that you have and abilities that you have um and then they they don't force you to go a certain route. Like, you can solve the puzzle however you want. If you want to, like, blast yourself with a grenade all the way to the finish, then just go ahead and do it. You know, it's not going to yeah. punish you for that. Yeah, because they only and, have one you know, design. Like, if we were programming this, how, like, I, 
if I were programming it, I would say like the only thing that has to happen is this ball needs to intersect with this collision. Mm -hmm. And if it does that, then the door will open. Yeah, there's no there's no <laughs> steps. You're you're not like okay. First, push your ball through here. Okay, now that objective is complete. Yeah, now push yeah. the ball over here. Now that objective. No, it's it's not that, and that's what makes it great because it, it utilizes the sandbox that they've made to to make great puzzles. You know, because because there's no restrictions on how to solve them. Yeah, and it's like and it's a physics sandbox and it's a chemistry sandbox and it's also yeah, like it's also it's not just the puzzles. You're not just using those abilities and stuff to solve puzzles. You're using that to navigate through the environment. Like take for instance fire. You know, you can use fire to cook things. You can use it to well, set things on fire. Oh, you can man. use it to imbue your sword. You know, you can it's a tool. Like You're fire to is a property have <laughs> that, your mind that everything blown. can have. You can craft weapons in the new one. Oh, cool. well, out, how does that work? Out of monster parts. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, and and uh, out of all sorts of things. Uh, you can craft weapons out of other weapons. And at first, oh gosh, just just beat it today, and I've just been digesting it the whole time. And it's like nice. The one of the coolest things was the was the weapon building thing. So like, you know the the classic like, you know WoW. Um, if you remember, mm -hmm. maybe explain it for the listeners how they flop the rest mechanic from the like, forget what they used to call it. I don't really play WoW, but I know it's a famous game design example of flipping a punishment to a reward to receive the same same result. I haven't heard this one. I did play WoW uh, during. I started playing during Cataclysm and played for a few years. Oh, they used to like take away your XP you could gain if you played too long to try to encourage healthier play cycles. Oh, uh, and people hated that because they would play. Yeah, and of course. Be, yeah, and so they swapped it to where you got XP bonuses if you rested your character. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. That's actually like a standard now. Yeah, yeah. Like it's like the token. Like ah, this is how you flop. You know, take punishments, turn them into rewards, um, mm. and and like so, Zelda, the Breath of the Wild. Like, you know, what was the most annoying mechanic? Um, it wasn't annoying. It wasn't a bad mechanic. It was a good climbing? mechanic. I had, I had a. I mean, climbing isn't that bad. What were you gonna say? Well, weapon breaking. Oh, okay, yeah. And and what it was is you kind of fell in love with your gear in Zelda games, especially if you're like me and you're a Zelda nut. You're a little more standard gamer Zelda, I think. Um, I'm, I'm standard gamer Zelda. Yeah, like you probably. I think you've played several titles and beaten them, but like you know, you're, oh, not, yeah. you're not a Zelda novice, but like you're not. No, I think like I've, I think I played most of them. <laughs> um, maybe not like the early early ones. Like I played. Uh, Oracle of Ages? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Okay, so you're over medium. Over medium? Yeah. You're over medium. medium over easy. Yeah, yeah. I'm hard-boiled. Like, hard-boiled. Yeah. yeah, I would uh, say you are. I mean, your profile picture is a... Is a link. Link. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm a hard-boiled Zelda fan. But yeah, you're dead. Yeah, but yeah, so you're well-established Zelda understanding. So... Yeah. Um, the biggest break there with the weapons breaking... Everybody was like sad because they would fall in love with these weapons, and then you would just watch them get destroyed. And uh, and it was it was a great mechanic because it forced you to run and find stuff all the time and to pick fights all the time to get more weapons. 
but it also like they they swapped it to a positive mechanic this time so now you actually find all these garbage weapons and you have to fuse certain boss parts mm, together mm-hmm. so you still have to kill enemies and get awesome things and find stuff that's good um but you fuse them and you create these cool weapons so it's now you have an opportunity and the weapons if you like do something really neat where you see this like big horn of something and it looks like an awesome blade and you put it on this two-handed hilt of a rusty thing and it suddenly turns into this awesome two-handed sword and you're like sweet and you get a reward cool. for it and you happily use it till it breaks um just the breaking still I mean, in there. That's a that's such a great example, man. They're they're really like, uh, I think Nintendo has really has like, has like kept their classic game development ideals. Um, you know, like most AAA development teams will be like, they, okay, they make the first version of the IP. Like, I don't know. Uh, I hate to use. Halo uh, so much, but the uh, Halo One. Yeah, you're right? hard boiled Halo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that has a big influence <laughs> in my life. Um, but uh, they put out Halo One, right? And then it, it was great. And then they were like, they, for the second one, they weren't like, how can we revolutionize Halo? No, they didn't do that. They were like, how can we make this one better? You know, how can we? What are people saying about the first one? And right. what they don't like vision. about it, and how, yeah, but it's like today that is, that doesn't happen. You, you know, like it's either they put out the, literally the same exact thing without with all the same problems, or they change it so much that it's not even the same IP. I think Breath of the Wild is is doing a good job of like improving upon uh, an already good game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I I was there. Um, 3,000 years ago when Halo 1 swapped to Halo 2. And mm-hmm. um, I missed Halo 1 mechanics, but I loved the online play. Now, I know there was technically an online play for Halo 1, but we're not talking about that. Um, yeah. uh, I did LAN. I actually networked Xboxes together with friends, but uh real online play that was pretty crazy like that was that was like a new like it wasn't new new like it wasn't first game to do that yeah. but it was really kind of introduced it um to me at least um but like it was it was really cool it was awesome but it didn't i felt like there was a loss like there was a refining and some things were better and some things were just like lost to me in halo 2 um which i think a lot of people think halo 2 is the better version like the definitive version but, I, would, I would say the they would both stand for their self, for themselves, but yes, maybe yeah. The common, I think, the common consensus would be that Halo Two is the improved version of CE, right? And yeah, and I can see that in a lot of ways too. There's a lot of just cleaner mechanics and cleaner gameplay, um, mm-hmm. a little less rock paper scissors, immediate rock paper scissors. I love the fact though that Elite just had a giant freaking head, so you could just snipe them from anywhere. <laughs> and so, like about three months in, no one could play Elites because they were like, <laughs> yeah, oh. They- they jumped higher. Yeah, yeah. Which compensated not, because <laughs> the first thing I first thing I was taught to do is stop jumping. I used to think like I was like, hey, if I jump, they'll miss me, and jumping. then I would die. And then somebody told me they're like, no, what are you talking about? You're supposed to bunny rabbit yourself everywhere and well, crouch repeatedly. Yeah, if you're crouching <laughs> at random points while you're jumping, that's yeah, that kind of move would be different. But like, I was just doing a standard arc. 
jump, press forward yeah. on analog stick. So they're like trace the parabola, bullseye, and and that's yeah. I learned the hard way. That was a no, no bueno <laughs> way to play online multiplayer. <laughs> There's three tiers to the open world map. It was already a giant open world map. Um, I haven't seen like all the open world games, so I couldn't tell you like if it's one of the biggest. But I do know that it like stands as a grand open world map, like one of the larger open world maps. Uh-huh. And now it has a whole set of sky islands and a whole set of the depths. And there is no loading screen in between any of these things. You can jump off a sky island, paraglide and navigate to like a giant chasm in the overworld mm. and jump down a cave that goes like it feels like 10,000 feet deep. And then you're in this like giant chasm of a world underneath <laughs> the other world. I mean, they're, they're using some like architecture uh, ideologies there. Like why, why build out when we can build up and down? Yeah, right? Yeah, they were like, we don't need to add more map. We just need to have yeah. layers to the map, which is a common, like, going back to the roots. That's what, when Zelda design was, like, laid out in the manual, it was, like, overworld, underworld. And that's what they called yeah. it. Like, the, the dungeons were the underworld, and the the game was the overworld. And Zelda, sad to say it, it has officially left my ideology of what I feel a Zelda game should be. But that is not a bad thing. Uh, It's a weird feeling, though. Because I, on one hand, they are not the game I was imagining I wanted anymore. But they're creating a game that is just freaking amazing and awesome. And if I'm adult about it and let go of, like, my preconceived ideology of what it should be, I'm like, man, this is one of the greatest games of all time. So, yeah, just kind of let it stand for itself. Yes, like, like it's not what I was hoping they would do, but it's amazing, and I'm just gonna have to just, just eat, eat what's served to me. It's like, it's like I was yeah. ordering, I was ordering a steak, and they made a really nice chicken alfredo, and I was like, <laughs> I was wanting steak, but gosh, this is a really, really great chicken alfredo, like. I'm gonna order yeah, it again. like you can't be mad about it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> this is the best mistake in my life. <laughs> yeah, that, that's kind of how, uh, to a lesser degree, I f- I felt about No Man's Sky. Like I was excited about No Man's Sky, but I I didn't really like fall into right. all the hype. You know, I watched Sean <laughs> from Hello Games talk about the game, right? And like, since I'm a, I'm a programmer, I kind of like understand the limitations of like what he he meant by that. You know, like he was like, "Oh, there's billions and billions of galaxies that they or uh, of planets that you can explore." You know, I'm like, what, "What does that actually mean?" You know, like, is there like a couple variations or you know? But I was excited to try it out because no one's done it before. You know, so like I was more excited about the technology behind what they were building um, in, instead of like the game and the the grandeur of of I, what they were saying. You know, I get that. Um, so, like, I, I really enjoyed No Man's Sky when it came out, and nobody else did. It, it, it was, like, the biggest flop in, in video game history ever. And then, well, not now, because they've just, like, stuck to their guns and just kept putting out updates for free for years now. Right, but the game um, just needed, to get to the game they promised just needed 
10 more years of work. <laughs> yes. No, I totally agree <laughs> that they were like promising more than what they were about to put out. But it, I mean, I don't know. As a developer, I can like understand how that happens and yeah. and look past that. Yeah, I don't know. Right. Well, and that makes sense to be excited for the technology, dude. Because, like, I mean, so it, it being a game developer kind of ruins video games for you in a certain way. Because on one hand, you can yes. enjoy it deeper um, because you were playing that game and you were having this deep enjoyment out of understanding this, like, procedural generation process. Yes. And, and like, that's great that, like, you could enjoy something about the game that no, like, not no one else, that's not true, but that, that you know, only a subset not, of the population can really enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm playing Breath of the Wild, and I'm, like, as they, like, hide the loading in the chasm uh, when it loads the underworld, um, I'm, like, genius, um, um, <laughs> genius level loading genius yeah just just genius and like the lod swaps like sometimes when like the entire world become is always an lod um and, and like that's how they do it is like there's just giant low-res mesh that is the entire world that you can always see and then they like pop in the high-res stuff as you go and so that's how you can see across the map but the thing is is you can see dragons flying on the other side of the freaking map and their shadows so with all the LOD, whatever, their shadow will high-res, like, pass over you. And oh, that's I'm, cool. This is just insane as well. In a kind of, the kind of joy and confusion and shock and pain that only a game developer can feel. Breath of the no, Wild sure. and Tears of the Kingdom, they're mobile games. They're, yeah, no, you're right. Isn't it like it's like no how because like you and me we develop for quests and mm -hmm. that's a challenge in itself mm -hmm. to to optimize for that because it's it's basically a phone strapped to your face yeah um the challenge is under <laughs> under cell but yeah but but yeah I mean like the the amount of detail that they can put into to switch games like that's it's it's pretty insane. I mean, the Switch hardware is pretty insane, too. Like, what it can do. Oh, yeah. I same, mean, it, same with the Steam Deck. Jesus. Yeah, that as well. Both of those. So, it's a little too forgiving to say it's a mobile game. Uh, a little too... too right, because it's yeah. not running on, like, on a, Your phone. on a phone. Yeah. It's like a souped-up phone. Yeah. But, again, like, the fact that it's not much more than a souped-up right. phone. And it's running this giant open-world three-tiered dynamic level loading shadows passing across the sky map it's like just oof i can't wait till till people start doing some technical breakdowns of how it works because so one of the things i can't we can't do in quest that they can do in the def with with breath of the wild is lean heavy into a deferred renderer and here's a very interesting technical piece on why um, because a deferred renderer is actually better than a um, um, forward renderer uh, for that kind of game with tons of light sources and lots of different render passes. By separating the render passes out, they're able to like really 
really dial in on how much per frame is actually processed. And so they're actually able to throw away a lot of unnecessary information on the fly or hyper-focus on certain information on the fly by having a really complicated rule of like 15 or 20 passes per frame. Um, and they, oh. Yeah, it's it could really... Wait, so, so what's the difference between the two? Now, Forward Renderer renders everything all um, by the points of light... And it doesn't, uh, it renders it all to the camera in one pass. Oh, um, okay. And so what happens is it's faster than a deferred renderer in certain scenarios when there's no movable light specifically. <laughs> um, okay. So that's why when all the shadows are baked and there's no movable light, so what's our quest rules, right? Um, mm. The forward renderer is actually faster than a deferred renderer. But it very can quickly become slower than a deferred renderer um, because when you add too many light sources and stuff, just the way the math works out, there's an actual equation. I'll share it with you off podcast when I find okay. it again. Um, but there's an equation where like, there's a point where like suddenly the forward renderer is no longer faster and it's actually way slower, tremendously slower. It just doesn't scale right. Um, and that's how they can have the big dynamic lights, moving shadows, tons of um, post-processing, and they can do it all with like 25 render passes. Uh, but, uh, oh, and the reason for VR, we're locked over the forward renderer, is because the way the math works, a deferred renderer has to multiply all of that per eye. Oh, so okay. It, so it's doing okay. So if it's doing like ten passes to render it instead of one, then yeah. you'd have to do twenty, and that's a lot. Yes, and then it has to also has to has to do it at one twenty for to produce heads. Yeah, and it has to do it. Yeah, like seventy two, seventy two to ninety frames a second. And yeah. yeah, while so like the math is it's really interesting because when you see the math laid out you're like oh i can see how that would clearly make deferred renderer faster yeah. in scenario yeah. a and clearly make forward rendering faster in scenario b um really demystified it for me i'll send you that video thanks for reminding me to go bake all my all my lights yes my maps <laughs> oh goodness gracious those la those map light bakes in the level i know you're talking about are are horrid yeah, I I have it on production, and yeah. it just like breaks. Like what? I don't even. No, I tried I it. I tried it on the big on one, man. With those models, um, it's what the the light map resolution isn't high enough, um, and it will dump the. You'll screw up the quest memory if you do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. that's that's probably the issue that I'm having with uh the 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 environment itself just doesn't have a texture on quest, and I was assuming because it was running out of memory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And that's why I've made that removing NPC thing. Oh, and then, okay, again, and Breath of the Wild has like 100 NPCs per thing, and they're all running a very complicated AI. Oh, speaking about that engine, man, so it's only better for Tears of the Kingdom, but I, my, my son likes this streamer called Mr. A Game. Actually, I like him too. Have you seen Mr. A Game? Have not. Uh, A tier streamer, just like use of memes, impeccable. Also, family-friendly. So, like, just... Oh, great. He's a wonderful. He's just wonderful. And so, um, he was playing this mod of Breath of the Wild, 
and the mod let you like spawn monsters in weird spots which let him get a bunch of monsters into Kakariko Village and the AI is so well treated out that even though there's not really a scenario where you can I mean I'm sure there could be a scenario but there's not really a scenario where monsters should make their way inside of Kakariko Village mm -hmm. when they did the AI responded like monsters were in the village, and they all started running and hiding and or fight, trying to fight back. What? Like they, yeah, like they would. And one of the things that happened is like the shopkeeper girl in front of the shop ran and tripped <laughs> and fell on her face while she was running and then what? got back up and kept running. Okay, so that just means that they have a base class for the AI, right? Yes, a that, very that just robust has base Those class. functions where if, they, if it, the, a monster comes in the vicinity, vicinity, then that's what happens. Yes. So, but, it's see, that's abstract programming, um, or even, you could even call it object-oriented, but, um, like, right. they, they... I like abstract better than object-oriented. Yeah. Weird reasons, uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they, they have this base class for the AI that that just has all the all the functions that a, a a person would do, and then they can just filter out what the specific subclasses of those AI do, uh, depending on the situation. But like, yeah, that's really cool. That see that that, that beckons back to the, the making tools instead of um, which uh, again goes back to maybe like object oriented versus like linear programming. Where you make classes for things instead of just one like linear solutions for things, you know. So. Right. Well, dude, and the beautiful thing about that is it shows really good gray boxing. Um, something like that. We just oof. We uh, for the game we had to make for work just for the listeners. We really could have used like a whole year of gray boxing to really do this thing right. Um, and we got about 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great example of like game design done right is how they made the Goose Game, the untitled Goose Game. Have you heard about that game? Perhaps. Yeah, I like that game. Me too. Did you know it's multiplayer now? Uh, no. It's Yeah, they released a multiplayer update. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. It's, so now you can double goose. Double I, goose I on might, the loose. Might actually play it instead of watching a streamer play <laughs> yeah, grab your wife and play the goose game. Grab your kids, grab your wife. Hide your kids. <laughs> <laughs> From the goose. Goosey. Everything gets all loosey-goosey when everybody talks about the Untitled Goose game. Uh, what do you mean? It just, it just turns speech into nothing but goose puns. <laughs> I think that's maybe a product of being a dad. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> so, let's, let's uh, land the seg. On the, so, the way they tested it, the way they made it was they had a goose interact with a dude, and they tweaked the AI until it was just fun to mess with the AI. And they made the AI, like, they, did, they tried making the AI, like, chase it, tried making the AI, like, um, like stop the goose and they like making the AI take things from the goose and like they they like tweaked it into where 
just messing with the AI and having the AI have a system of like, I'm looking for blank and then like I'm trying to blank and then the goose could mess with the AI. All they had to do the rest of the game was just taking that gray box and just situationalizing it to, to be, to create the fun, to like tease the fun out of it and to show the best parts. Right. And like, that's just such a beautiful, clean example of good game design. Yeah. And, and iterated on it. Like, I just yes. love the idea that Mario was nothing but like Mario jumping in a white room. For yeah, Mario sixty four, at one point he was, yeah. yeah. And they, and they literally they they weren't allowed to move on until it was just f- purely fun to jump around with Mario in a white room. Yeah, who was it? Were you telling me about that? How they were like, they were like, they adjusted the like jump height for Mario or something like that. And oh man, I I don't know. I thought I thought you were the one that ever talked telling me about that and they were like no you have to change it back like you you need to oh no i didn't hear about that uh, i'll i'll have to i i can't remember the full story but it was it was pretty interesting well messing with mario's jump height sounds like a it sounds like it sounds like messing yeah. with the the uh national anthem or something yeah, like it's no, just can, like you don't you imagine, do that can, can you imagine how um how different the levels would be if mario if they just Cut Mario's jump height in half. Oh gosh, they would have to change game. all the levels. And I think that was the point: was that like they would have to change all the level, go back and change all the levels if, since they adjusted the jump height or something like that. So, oh, um, they there is a really good example of of tools design. That's something that me and you talk about at work a lot. That um, that. I think is a great thing that game designers should do that we wish we had more time to do it right. Um, it was a, it was a similar concept to what you're talking about. The game had like a, a set slope height um, for, for, for ledges, like what ledges that could be grabbed on. And when they changed that, they had a system dependent on each other so it automatically, as they tweaked that slope height, it automatically tweaked um, all the slope heights. So, like, they all, if it was supposed to be a slope height that could be grabbed, that's what it was called. Oh. It was called a grabbable slope, and then it would, like, be grabbed. Like, it would just, like, go to the right height and, like, work with the system instead of it, you know, having to be tweaked by, like, having some PM yeah. go in and go, move all these variables up 0.7. Yeah, no, they they knew what the what the you know, like what the game was going to be. So they kind of I don't know. Whenever you you're building in Unreal Engine, for instance, mm-hmm. um, or any engine, you kind of like set up an engine within the engine for yourself. Yeah, that's if you're doing specific it right. to your game, um, and then and then just expand on that. <clears throat> so that's what I it feel sounds like. like. That's what was going on there. Just to trash the Unity devs for a second, um, <laughs> alienate probably the majority of our possible listener base. No, uh, <laughs> uh, no I'm not going to say. Uh, Unity's great. There's nothing wrong with Unity. Um, it's just different. Um, one of the things that makes it different is Unreal has just really good tools to 
like they they imagine a world where there's a bunch of programmers making tools for designers and you would think like oh i don't need that because i'm both and you're like no 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 it's great because you can put on your programmer hat knowing where you're going to go design wise and program yourself the perfect tool that remember we made like like um we made a booth system and a coffee cup system and like we made like mm-hmm. a cup like we would make our own little design tools and then there's just a part where it's just like we had to make that giant multiplayer vr coffee shop that's all i'm gonna say <laughs> um, yeah. and when we did that we were just like i just got to spend a day just dragging and dropping everything in and then it all worked like well except for the audio thing but <laughs> then, then it all yeah. just worked and like because all the yeah good programmers make tools for designers and then use them themselves yes that's what's so great about being an indie dev uh yeah i think apps have like a baby teeth okay okay i think every app kind of has a gums baby (laughs) teeth teeth approach and like but i think people when they're gumming through it are worried about how they're going to build the permanent teeth. And it's kind of like, no, just gum through it and then make your baby teeth. And your baby teeth is your actual design tools. And then refine your design tools as you refine your design. And then you'll end up with your permanent teeth code. Um, Gumming it, toothing it, biting it it out. (laughs) I just, honestly, I want to build stuff. But you talked about, like, being able to jump from sky islands mm-hmm. and i imagined building a giant like ramp that just goes from a sky island to the ground and then like ramps off and then you can get on your motorcycle that i know you can get now i'm pretty sure right i saw a post about that you can build a motorcycle you can build a hundred versions of the motorcycle yeah yeah get a motorcycle go on a floaty island build a giant slope and then put a ramp at the bottom <laughs> that just might be possible that's like the equivalent of the cheese wheel skyrim cheese wheel 